John chapter 5, uh, reading from verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralysed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Amen. Thank you, Alistair. Well, we're going to stay uh, in this passage. We've been looking at uh, the different people who who met Jesus and uh, had their life changed. Maybe uh, you've been asked the question, maybe you've thought about it. What is your greatest need? What do I need most from life? What do I need most right now? And every single one of us would probably come up with a different answer depending on what we're going through, on our circumstances. For the the poorest person, perhaps, it might be the need for for food or money or uh, a job even. For the overworked on the other end of the scale, it might be a holiday or just a few more hours uh, in the day to get the job done. For someone else, it might be a cure for the illness, a little more time with family and friends. All of us have some sort of need that we want to be met, that we we want things to be fixed. We want things to be right. And as we've been seeing people meet with Jesus, we've we've seen him interact with lots of different people. Uh, We first saw some interested people looking for someone like Jesus, his disciples, We saw uh, the outcast woman of Samaria, someone who was shunned by her peers, and yet Jesus came to her. And we saw the religious man, Nicodemus, who thought he had it all worked out because he was so uh, religious. He kept all the rules, and yet Jesus showed him he needed something else. Uh, In John chapter 5, we we just, Alistair just read for us the story of a man who is an invalid, Someone we would uh, possibly say uh, is, is disabled nowadays. He's, he's, he can't walk. He's paralysed. And in those times, perhaps not so enlightened in some ways, he would be seen as a problem, problem really. A sinful man, a broken man, unworthy of much place in society. He would not be able to make a real living for himself. 
He probably begged or relied on family and friends to provide for him. And what we're told is he's sitting there at this at this pool at Bethesda, which we'll see in a moment, and he's waiting to be healed. That's his greatest need, isn't it? He wants to be healed. And this day, his life will change. Not just because he's healed, although we read he is. Um, we see Jesus' compassion in that miracle. But what we'll also see is he needs a greater healing. He needs, uh, 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 kind of like we saw with Nicodemus, actually, a transformation in his life. And, and as Jesus does this, though, what we're going to see is this isn't a popular thing. Jesus is not a, a popular guy. There's always opposition to him. But really what this does is it shows us a bit more of who Jesus actually is and helps us to know him more. So as we see this man meeting Jesus, we don't know his name. All we know is he's an invalid. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. But as we see him meeting Jesus, we'll see how, well, basically Jesus heals. We see his question, do you want to be healed? And then second of all, we're going to see that, that this man is commanded by Jesus. And what we'll see in that is that Jesus has power. And third of all, we'll see who Jesus is, because that's the question that the, 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 the Jews ask, is it? Who is this man? Who is this man? Who is he? Well, hopefully we'll have an answer for that at the end of our sermon. So the first thing is, do you want to be healed? That's the question. And that's the main part of the story, isn't it? It's the healing. This man needs healed. He's, he's at the, the sheep gate. Presumably that's where they brought in sheep to the city. And he's at this pool called Bethesda. Uh, it seems to be uh, the, the place where all the blind and the lame and the paralysed go. They're, they're the have-nots of society. Um, and this is where they go. They want to be healed. And they think that this pool has the power to heal them. And so this man's there all the time. And it's no wonder, really, because maybe you've wondered what uh, Bethesda actually means. And what it means is House of Mercy. And so these people, they're, they're looking for mercy. They're looking for healing. They're looking to be fixed in their eyes. They, they definitely needed that mercy. And, and they believed it had healing powers. And there was this local superstition, really, that whoever got there first would be healed. Uh, as the man says to Jesus in verse 7, that's what, what he wanted. But someone always beat him there. And in fact, some people um, thought that an angel stirred it up. Uh, you might see it if you have a Bible in front of you, they put it in a footnote, that people thought that. Uh, and the water would be disturbed and they thought, this is when I'm going to get healed. Uh, and you can imagine this man, 38 years we're told, he's suffering, he's in pain, he can barely move. He's waiting and waiting and this pool is his hope. And Jesus comes to him asking, do you want to be healed? It seems like an obvious question, doesn't it? What do you think the man is going to say? Who wouldn't want to be healed after 38 years? Of course, he's going to say yes. And yet that's not really what he says. He just says how he's always missed out. To be honest, he sounds a little bit miserable, which is maybe understandable given his condition. But we didn't realise that Jesus is offering him healing. But he's actually offering something even more. And this question is... Uh, for all of us, do you want to be healed? We all know that the dissatisfaction that we can have in life, we can all know that we, we don't always feel whole. We sometimes feel anxious. We sometimes feel like there's, or often feel like there's something missing. And Jesus does come to us with this question, do you want 
to be healed? Really, do you want to be in friendship, in peace, as Nate was saying, with God? But this man, he, he doesn't know Jesus and all he cares about is the water. Maybe he thinks, oh, this guy might carry me to the water first and I'll get healed then. And the problem is this man is looking in the wrong place. He's looking simply to the superstition, to the water, thinking that will heal him. You know, I'm one of these people, I'll get in the house and then my shoes will go one place, my wallet will go another place, my keys will go the next place, my phone will go the next place. And then I'll be going out later and I'll look for these things and they're not exactly where I left them. Someone who shall remain nameless has tidied them and put them where they're supposed to be. But I'm looking where I left them. I'm looking in the wrong place. Uh, when really they're actually in the right place. And so maybe that's silly, but what this man is doing is he thinks he just thinks this water, that's what's going to work for me. That's going to fix me. This, 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 this water rising up, that'll help. He's placed all his hope and he's waited there for 38 years in complete misery. And yet that's exactly what most people in this world do. Longer than 38 years, actually. Looking in the wrong places. Looking for the wrong things in life. Trying so hard to make life worthwhile. And maybe it's not that that you've lived a bad life, but nothing ever quite feels complete. Life hasn't uh, hasn't turned out what we dreamed it would be. Or maybe someone's ill and wants real healing. Maybe there's real dissatisfaction. That is a, a normal feeling for us. In a way, we've all felt that because we, we long for contentment. We long for peace. We long for healing of our, of our hearts and our souls. We know that, the, that we want something more from life. That, that this life can't be all that there is. That we need something more. That there needs to be more. The Old Testament describes it as God having set eternity in our hearts and no matter what people do whether it's through family or money or or career whatever it might be we're looking to almost make ourselves immortal to to create a legacy to matter in this world that's what so many of us want we want to be whole and so we fill our lives and it can even be with some sort of faith being spiritual or doing good works as we said, it can be family or charity or, or money, whatever it might be. We try so hard to make ourselves feel worthwhile. And these things may not be bad in themselves. Don't misunderstand me. They can be very good things. But we're missing what's right before us. We're missing Jesus coming and asking, do you want to be healed? We're missing the man there, Jesus, for us. And instead, we're looking at the pool. We're looking at Bethesda. We're looking in the wrong place. Jesus is right there. He's right there in the Bible. He's right there as, as we preach, as, as we meet together. He's, he's there and he's asking you, do you want to be healed? That is the question for you. Do you want the, the wholeness, the completeness, the, the eternal life as, as we'll maybe see that he alone offers? Do you want to be healed because that's exactly what Jesus does our second thing is that the um the man is commanded by Jesus there are some people that we that we just naturally listen to aren't there uh we trust them we know that their advice is good 
they're our friends, they're our spouse, whatever it might be, they're parents, we trust them. And when we were younger, our parents and teachers, we listened to, and whatever they said, we would believe. I believed that blood was blue when it didn't have oxygen for so long, because that's what I learned in school. It's not true in case you learned that in school and you didn't realise, it's, it's always red. But when I was a child, I believed that, because a teacher told me that. We, we listen to people, some people have that authority, and Jesus has an even greater authority, a power to heal. Because did you see verse 8? Where, when the sick man says, I've no one to put me in the pool, looking in the wrong place. All Jesus says is, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, verse 9, the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus speaks. He has that power and authority. The man is healed. There's no ritual. There's no ceremony. There's no superstition. It is simply the power that Jesus has. He speaks and it, and it happens. It's all done by him. And so the answer, the, the thing that we need is for Jesus himself to heal us. He heals something that no doctor can fix or, or, or anyone else. He heals our hearts and our souls. That's the, the power that he has. He speaks. It happens. That is authority. No one else has it. He tells this man to walk, and he does. And yet within that, it's not just power, is it? It's compassion. Jesus actually cares about this man's needs. That's how he uses his power. He knows this man's situation, and what he does, he does give healing. The man almost doesn't ask for it from Jesus, and yet Jesus shows compassion, he shows love to him, and he heals him. The man waited at the pool of mercy at Bethesda, and instead he found mercy in Jesus. He found love and compassion. This man is healed. And yet that's not the whole story. We can't just focus on the miraculous healing as much as it shows Jesus' love and compassion and his power. Because, well, you could come to this and say, well, why didn't Jesus heal everyone there? There was loads of guys waiting there. Why didn't he heal all of them? Maybe it's a, a, a fair question. Well, what we need to remember is that Jesus isn't our genie in a bottle. He doesn't just give us the wish that we want and, and, and that's it, the thing that we think that we need. We can't treat Jesus as a means to an end, is what I'm saying. Um, it's unlikely that any of us are best friends with our dentists. But we'll go and see them when we have a toothache, won't we? Because we know that they can fix uh, the toothache. But Jesus isn't like that. He's not a, a doctor or a dentist. We need to, to appreciate Jesus for who he actually is and to know him. He's not just someone we go to when we have a need that we've decided is important and then just go, fix this, Jesus. He fixes something more, something that we don't always see. And the way that we're fixed isn't by simply just using him, but by knowing him, by being one of his people, by being friends with him actually. Because the second thing is we need to understand that Jesus offers a far greater healing than simply our physical needs. That this healing was done not just for the man, although it was done for him in, in compassion, but it was to point us forward to something greater. We, we didn't read it, but later in the chapter, uh, Jesus says that he's going to show greater works than the healing of this man. Uh, and that his father is going to raise the dead and give life. Uh, and so Jesus himself will give life. And what that's saying is that, that Jesus healing this man is telling us that there is a greater healing to come. That it is a real physical healing, but it is a healing that is even from death. 
Now, even though we die, as, as we all will, for the believer in Jesus, there is the hope that not just that we'll be in heaven floating on the clouds as, as sort of the images that you maybe have of heaven, but that we will actually be physically resurrected, that we will be whole again, that we will be made perfect. That is what this is pointing towards. And that's why Jesus only heals this man. He's showing us something. He's communicating something to us that there is a greater healing to come, that really the physical healing isn't what we necessarily need right now. There is something more. Now, going back to the story, this man doesn't seem very grateful. He goes to the Jewish authorities and he tells them what has happened after his question because he's he's carried his mat on the Sabbath, which we'll see was a big no-no. And then Jesus comes to him and he gives another command. He's commanded, he's, he's spoken and he's shown his power in healing. But he gives him another command. And what he tells him in verse 14 is to sin no more. And since he's well, he can do that. And if he keeps sinning, something worse may happen. And that almost sounds like a threat maybe to, to some of you. And some people think this man was, was an invalid because he sinned. And so Jesus warning him, if he sins, you'll be back where you started. I don't think that's what's going on here. What he's doing is he's, he's telling this man that there is something more important. Jesus is saying that something worse can happen that can be lost forever. That there, there is consequences to sin. That, yes, physical healing is good. But what we need is eternal healing. Healing of our very uh, being. That the following Jesus, that not sinning, it is the way to eternal life where there is absolutely no suffering. And so what Jesus is saying is that if that, this man has truly known him, truly appreciates what has been done for him, then he will not have that same desire to sin. And it's worth saying here that being a Christian doesn't mean that we're perfect and that we never want to sin because we do. Um, and yet at the same time, we, we don't want to sin. We want to do what's right. We want to please God. We want to, to, to be good. And, and, and that's a good thing. But we're not fully healed yet. We, we do now, but we don't want to be. And even Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, he wrote about this feeling. that The, the, the good he, he, he wants to do, he doesn't do. And so on. We, we live in that tension almost. And so Jesus is saying this man to stop sinning. He's telling him, you need to go in another direction. You need to, 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 to follow me instead. That's what he's, Jesus is saying to him. Because Jesus is saying that with a life lived in sin, there's no hope. That there's no real healing. And the alternative is a lost eternity that is without Jesus, without heaven, without hope. But what Jesus offers is that healing of eternal life to anyone who comes to him. That is what he gives. That is what is for us. Simply with faith in him. Go and stop sinning. Sin no more. That is what Jesus' invite to, to be healed, to follow him, uh, 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 and to leave our old life behind and be one of his people. It's telling us that there's something better for people who believe in Jesus. Uh, and it does mean physical healing, as we said. It does. It means resurrection from the dead. And yet what we have the opportunity now is for that healing from sin, that forgiveness, that cleansing, as it's called, from sin. And that is a challenge to us, though, and sometimes we need to be challenged. Those of us who believe, um, where, where do we stand with sin? Um, are we maybe content to hold on to at least some sins to say, you know what, it's only a little sin, I'm forgiven, it's okay. 
I'll get away with it. But no, what Jesus says is, sin no more. Sin no more. And that is the challenge we need to remind ourselves of every day, that that sin is going against God. As, As we read in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned. We've gone against him. And our desire must be to please him, to do what is right because he has healed us. Not so that he will heal us, but because he has forgiven us. He has healed us. Listen to the words of Jesus. Sin no more. Question might be what gives Jesus the right to say something like that. Maybe you think, hey, I'm a good person. Or, hey, that that doesn't seem fair. What gives Jesus the right? And that brings us to our third point. Who is Jesus? And that same question is the question that everyone has. What gives Jesus the right? You know, the the Jewish authorities, the, the religious people, they're questioning, you know, why, who is this man? How can he do this? Why is he doing this on the Sabbath? And we all know people who question us, our decisions or whatever, and we can't help but wonder, you, know, you don't know me. What gives you the right? How dare you? How dare you question me? And that's what the, the Jewish authorities are kind of saying. They're persecuting Jesus and they're even seeking to kill him. Uh, verse 18 says, he provoked a strong reaction. That's what Jesus does a lot of the time. Most of us probably haven't felt that strongly about someone that we want to to persecute them to to kill them and it's all because jesus has healed on the sabbath and that seems innocent enough to to most of us probably but the jewish authorities felt very strongly about sabbath Uh, and god had commanded in the old testament um keep keep the sabbath holy but what the jewish authorities did they added all sorts of little rules like one of them, for example, was that people couldn't carry their bed, their, their, their mat, on a Sabbath. And they may have started with good intentions of, of obeying God, but they, they made it this really horrible day where you just had all these little rules that you kept on having to make sure you were keeping. Uh, and then you'd feel really guilty if you hadn't kept them, even though they weren't even in the Bible. Uh, and so healing on a Sabbath and telling this man to carry his bed, that was that was wrong in their eyes. That was you know, persona non grata, that this guy is dangerous. This guy is getting at the very fabric of society. We can't have him here. We need to persecute him. We need to kill him. That's what they're saying. And some people, when they hear Sabbath, even today, and keeping it holy and so on, maybe you have some stereotypes, even of we freeze, uh, some of the Scottish people perhaps, of chaining up park swings on, on Sundays, for example stopping people playing, shops closed, and maybe a day of of misery, to be honest, a day of of doing nothing. And I I think most countries at some point have had this as well. And perhaps it's things that are hard to find in the Bible. And this is what the Jewish authorities are really doing in, in, in their own way. They're going beyond what the Bible says. God had commanded no work uh, on, on the Sabbath and had himself rested when he created the world. And he'd given the gift of rest. That's actually a gift to us that, that we, we were told to, to rest. And it's still important. But the problem becomes when we try and add things, when we try and do more and more than what God says and we actually lose what God intends. And part of what God wants from Sunday is compassion, is loving God and loving neighbour as ourself. Um, you can read Isaiah 58 later, you'll see a bit of that. And Jesus himself says, not quite about, about Sabbath, about Sunday, but that the Pharisees, the Jewish authorities, they tithed mint and dill and cumin, but neglected the na- weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so you see what Jesus is doing is, he's not keeping the Pharisees' rule about Sabbath or Sunday, whatever you want to call it. He's showing justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's showing compassion, unlike these religious authorities. And again, we can learn from this, especially those of us who believe. It's not that rest on Sunday is unimportant, but it's important that we're actually doing what God wants. And compassion ought to be there. And for any part of faith, adding rules to any part can become something that stops us from, from, from doing what God wishes us to do. For example, it is good to do good on Sunday, as we have it now. The Pharisees' problem was they didn't love God, they didn't love others, they'd completely missed the point, and what they loved was their rules. And so what they couldn't see was that they had met Jesus, that they had uh, met, as we'll see, God himself. Because Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. And then verse 18 says they, they, they wanted to kill him, this was why. Jesus called him his father, and by doing this on a Sunday, he was showing, and by saying my father, he was showing that, that he is God. And that is the answer to our question, that Jesus is God. And that's why there's so much opposition, because it was blasphemy to claim to be God. But that is exactly what Jesus is doing. And that might sound a bit sort of abstract, in a sense, uh, right now. But, but this Jesus, who we've been meeting isn't just claiming to be a miracle worker. He isn't just claiming to be a good teacher. What he's claiming to be is God. And that means he's claiming to be the creator of everything. That means he's claiming to be the one who is king, who has all power and authority. And as we said, he's shown that in what he's done. And he'll go on to say in this chapter that he has the power to judge, to, to, to welcome people into heaven. And so it matters that Jesus is God. And it matters what we think of Jesus. Do we believe that he's who he claims to be? And if that's true, if he is God, then we need to know where we stand with him. If the, the creator of the world uh, is coming to us and saying, do you want to be healed? If he's saying that, that he can give us eternal life, that he has the power to judge, then we need to know where we stand with him. This matters. It matters that Jesus is God. We need to, to work this out. Is Jesus God as he claims to be here? That is who he is. The Jewish authorities didn't want him to be God. This is why they're trying to kill him. That was They, they didn't want that. What they wanted was to keep their religion. How do we see him, though? How do you see him? Is he God? Is Jesus God? Is he the one who has the power to forgive us? Is he the one who has the power to give us eternal life, to truly heal us? Uh, C.S. Lewis said, you've probably heard it before. It's a good quote, though, even if I'll probably quote it many times. It's quite long. But, but listen, he says, I'm trying to appear to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about, about him, about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is what the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. 
He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That's what C.S. Lewis said. A man who who was an atheist and yet came to faith, he realised that these claims that Jesus is making here, to be the Son of God, to be God himself, changed everything. And he needed to, to, to accept the view that he was and is God. The Jewish authorities, they said liar. The man, uh, he just doesn't seem very interested. He actually grasses up uh, Jesus to the Jewish authorities. What do you say? Is he liar, lunatic or Lord? And how would that change your life? What is your greatest need? What is my greatest need? Do we see it as Jesus healing the life that he offers, the eternal life? Or are we looking for something else? Are we looking to our superstition? Are we looking to our our own good, our own things that we do? Do we see him as God? Do we see him as the one who can save us? He offers us compassion. He offers us healing. He offers us mercy. And all we must do is believe in this Son of God, in this Lord, that he is who he says he is and he will do what he has said he will do and he has done what he has done on the cross. It's faith in him that all of us need. Amen. We're going to finish our time together by singing another song. We're going to sing the song, How Great uh, Thou Art. Remind me just of the the greatness of God. This Jesus is God, as we've said, and how great uh, he is. So please do stand up uh, to sing along uh, with us. And afterwards, if you remain standing, and we'll have uh, our blessing as well. So let's sing to the praise of God.